you believe in something this morning? Why don't you believe in a church? Why don't you believe in the glory of dominion that God gave us the power to build a building on a hill that stands for something in the community? That we're not afraid to stand up for what we believe in and tell the lawmakers and the rulers in this nation and every other nation in the world, Jesus Christ is the Son of God and He's coming back and you better repent of your sins or you're going to answer for them. And God cares about this building and He cares about the churches that sprinkle the landscape of this nation. And if you go to Europe today, you'll see cathedral after cathedral that were beautiful and they're empty. And if we don't get right in this nation, that's going to happen. Look around you at the sloth. Look at the empty pews. Look at the big gaps. They didn't want to hear the truth. Believe in something today. Welcome to Beyond the Walls with Pastor Kerry Gordon of Cornerstone World Outreach in Sioux City, Iowa. Check out our website at beyondthewallsradio.com. Thank you for tuning in. Enjoy the sermon. We serve a God that created the entire universe by approaching what is described as extraordinary darkness and blackness. And the difference, I think, between he and us most of the time is that had you been there at that moment at creation, had you popped into the, the blackness, what you would have said and how you would have responded to what you saw would be, wow, it's really dark. But the God that created the universe, the planet, the orbits of our systems, the way that botany functions and plants and seasons and changes and all of this weather, the God that created all of this, you, everything the wind that blows looked into the blackness into the darkness and instead of saying what you would say boy sure is dark God said let there be light and really in the most simple terms that is the challenge that you face in your mind in this battle that we're facing every day are you going to announce what everyone already knows and just be another person a firstborn or are you going to think like a twice-born? And when you see darkness, you announce that light should be there. And you bring change, and you confront, and you deal with stuff. That's the question. Most people put them in the blackness, and they will simply restate the obvious. Boy, it sure is dark in the universe. It's black. It doesn't change anything. So turn to your neighbor and say, I... Go ahead and say, I am an agent of change. I am here to change the world. And I will change it right after I dominate it. I must take dominion before I can change it. Jesus isn't coming down to change the world. He's done all that he needed to do. He came, he was here for 33 and a half years, he gave us the most extraordinary preaching that we'll ever have. And it's written down. There's a great record of it. He was viciously murdered, put into a tomb, and he rose from the dead and levitated and ascended into the clouds in broad daylight in front of everyone. He needs to do nothing more. 
He has defeated death. He has walked on water. He has conquered all of Rome. Rome is gone. Rome is a byword. No one speaks Latin anymore except priests. Rome is gone. Their language is gone. Christ is seated on his throne. He owns every molecule of the universe. It belongs to him. There are no crevices in the United States of America that Jesus Christ does not have a right to say, that is mine. The problem is the world is filled with people that don't accept that. They, not me, they are living in a dream world. They are living in a world that they say is secular. They are living in a world where they think Jesus has no right to claim ownership. They are mistaken gravely. And part of taking dominion, a part of our job together, when we take dominion together, is bringing them to the realization that it doesn't belong to them, it belongs to him. And we are his agents. And after we take the dominion, we bring the positive change that is needed. Somebody say amen. Grace is with you in the agonies. Grace is with you in the difficulties. Grace is with you in the struggle. And the message of eternity is grace is more than sufficient to get you through it and come out on the other side a champion. And this is fascinating. The Bible tells us that Christ came to the world and he had all grace, which made him unique from every other person that was ever here. He had every single scrap of eternal supernatural grace that exists exuding from one physical body. It makes him very, very special when it comes to grace. And didn't Christ go through the agonies? Didn't Christ have a battle? Didn't Christ have to deal with people's mouths? and, their, and their, their rantings, and their accusations, and their lies, and their criticisms, and their rumor-mongering, and the abuse of human tongues. For three and a half years, he put up with every layer of possible contempt that a human being could throw at someone, short of killing them, and then in the end, what did they do? They killed him. And there is an allegory there about you. You are going to have to go through the agonies. You're going to have to face the contempt of other human beings their mouths, their rumors, their lies, their distortions, their accusations, their ridicule, their criticisms, and their disagreements. And then eventually, you too will find a grave, and you'll be buried. But grace is with you in the agonies. And in the fourth example that the apostle gave us, the one in the wrestling ring, where one being you is so weary, so tired, so beat up, from the fighting and the battle and the combat, that your enemy lifts you off the ground with great strength and slams your body to the ground, defeating you, supposedly once and for all. The apostle said, I'm going to get back up. Jesus went through the agonies, full of grace, and you have to go through the agonies and stay full of grace and never back up an inch and never give up. And in the end, yes, you'll be buried. There will be a funeral. You'll die, and it will look like the God of this world is the champion, that he finally squeezed your neck and you quit breathing and your heart quit beating. And he'll lift you and he'll slam you to the ground and it'll look like it's over. But grace is with you in the agony and you're going to get back up. Christ was the first fruit resurrection. He got back up, and I'm getting back up too. Turn to your neighbor and say, you can't keep me down. I wish I could sing that song, and I had everybody that knew it. 
down, 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 Ain't no grave. Dun, 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 dun. Gonna hold my body down. Ain't no grave. Gonna hold my body down. I love that song. We have to learn that. When I hear the trumpet sound. Gonna get up out of the ground, ain't no grave. Gonna hold my body down, 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 down. I just said, I'm gonna be Dick Van Dyke, a one man band this morning. Anyway, <laughs> that's a good song. So we're talking about dominion, dysfunctional dominion had to be dealt with and God assigned death to it. You cannot have dominion if you don't honor God. He has set up an arrangement no one escapes except Jesus. Jesus escaped it because God was first, because the kingdom was first, because the will of his Father came before his own personal will and therefore he triumphed over death because he took dominion on behalf of heaven and ladies and gentlemen, that's the pathway to your salvation and your resurrection. You too must put the kingdom first. You too must put the will of the Father in front of your own. And if you approach your death with that attitude, with grace bursting from your old body, worn out, you're coming back because that kind of dominion is protected. You can't murder God's dominion. You can't kill it. It won't be buried. It won't stay buried. If you'll take dominion and obey God and do it right, you're coming back. If you will not do it right, if you want to be like Adam and Eve, and you're going to take dysfunctional dominion, and you're going to fool around with the tree in the middle of the garden, it is not your property. You were told not to mess with it, and you're going to take what belongs to God and treat it as though it were common and partake of it as though it belonged to you, Mr. Secularist, you will not be coming back from your grave in the same way I will. You'll come back so you can be thrown in the lake of fire. And that is not what you want. Dominion is very important. Dominion, in the largest sense of the word, is an epic concept of salvation of the human soul. And you're commanded to take it, and you must obey Dysfunctional dominion will not be tolerated, therefore men die, women die. Proper dominion is rewarded through resurrection. What do we do after we get back up out of the grave? We're just going to go back and be with God and just keep on taking dominion. Partnership with God, the way that Adam was supposed to do it and refused. So Jesus shows up, why? He told us, here we are on earth in dysfunctional dominion which demands death. Like all my D's, dysfunctional dominion demands death. D, 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 D. If you're taking notes, D, 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 D. Dysfunctional dominion demands death. Jesus came, the second Adam in the second garden, to right the wrongs of Adam. Adam would not take dominion properly. He was supposed to do what? Dominion is divided into two categories. We've talked about it. Number one, your property instinct. 
you have a desire God programmed in you to obtain and own material property. The way that you purchase, own, and maintain property is the way that you exercise dominion. Secondly, you were given not only the property instinct, you were given the sexual instinct. You have within you a desire to have sexual relations with the opposite sex and create other human beings. Those two instincts, the property instinct and the sexual instinct, are the two ways that man takes dominion. Therefore, if you're going to take dominion and experience resurrection, those are the two instincts that must come beneath the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. Your desire for things must yield to the law of God. Your desire to have sex must yield to the law of God. Adam was to fill the world up with righteous children, but he filled the world up with wicked children. And in the story of Noah, God had to right that great wrong. And we are warned by Jesus. They said, what will it be like in the last days? He said, it will be as it were in the days of Noah. And here's one of the reasons Jesus said it, because the world has been filled up, ladies and gentlemen, with unrighteous children. And he promised he wouldn't flood again, but he didn't say he wouldn't use fire, and he's coming back to use it. So dominion is very important. Your sexual instincts must conform and comport with the laws of God concerning marriage and reproduction and intimacy. Your desire to earn finances and obtain things must comport with the higher law of God with regard to the proper handling of economics and property. The Bible forbids envy. It forbids lust. And when we see Adam and Eve in false dysfunctional dominion, what did they do? They let lust get into their property instinct by screwing around with the tree that didn't belong to them. The Bible says she lusted for it. She saw that it was pleasant to look upon. That's lust. And so lust affects your property instinct, the desire to get rich, the desire to obtain nice things. It's a good desire, but if you don't submit it beneath the authority of God's law, you will fall into greed, which is forbidden and a sin, and envy. You will hate it that other people have nicer things than you, and that is a wicked sin from a wicked heart. You will want things to heap upon yourself, not for the kingdom, for your kingdom. This is wrong, and the Bible forbids it. God's law says, don't do it. Thou shalt not covet, says the 10th commandment from God. And then sexually, Adam and Eve allowed the same perversion of their property instinct to happen to them sexually, and they did not do their job as parents. They reproduced okay, because people that have sex tend to do that, but they didn't rear their children biblically. They didn't bring them up in the admonition and the nurture of the Lord. They themselves were out of harmony with God. They lost their relationship. They were booted from the garden, not allowed back in. And so they passed on their sin nature and their dysfunction and their rebellion to their children. And that lust, that sexual lust, one of the characteristics of the flood of Noah after Adam and Eve living 900 and something years, filled the world up with dysfunctional, rebellious children. One of the characteristics of society at that time when God judged the world was sexual sin and perversion. 
And so Jesus has to right the wrong, see. He has to show up in history and deal with the issue of dominion and make a pathway for you to go back and pick up the task Adam refused to obey. And so Jesus, not wanting anyone to not understand why he came, says this fascinating thing, because remember what I told you a moment ago, dysfunctional dominion demands death. D-D-D-D. Jesus shows up, and what does he announce? Hello, everyone. John chapter 10 and verse 10. Jesus says, hi, I have come that you might have life. You're listening to Beyond the Walls with Pastor Kerry Gordon of Cornerstone World Outreach in Sioux City, Iowa. Don't miss the conclusion of this sermon after these messages. Hello everyone, it's Pastor Kerry. You know, I remember a pivotal moment in American history and I sat and I watched this drama unfold in Florida concerning Terry Schiavo, who was this woman, she had gone on an extreme diet to lose weight and had lost consciousness. And the next thing you know, a few years later, they're literally euthanizing her in a nursing home. I was horrified when I watched that happen, and it set me into a journey to discover and answer some questions that are very important, especially in the field of the political world. Should Christians, for example, simply submit to the possible consequences of decisions, or should they make decisions exclusively based upon the Word of God? Now, that sounds simple to ask that question, and people flippantly answer it, but you'll find that the answer is very clear in the Bible, and it's also very troubling to modern Christians. Very few Christians truly live out the correct answer to that question. Well, I've put together a cartoon series. It's a whiteboard project where I teach you through some steps of logic and then had an artist in the church draw out the illustrations of what I'm trying to convey. It's really a remarkable thing, and it's free. All you have to do is go to the website to enjoy it, and I'll take you down the road of the journey I went on long ago answering that important question. Should Christians make decisions in life based exclusively on what God's Word says, or should they bow down to the threat of consequences? Because you realize sometimes when you make right decisions, there are very painful consequences. And here's where you need to go. I'll give you the website twice. Steps2politicalepiphany.com That's Steps2politicalepiphany.com Please enjoy the presentation. It could really change your life. Thank you for listening and God bless. Beyond the Walls with Pastor Kerry Gordon of Cornerstone World Outreach in Sioux City, Iowa. Check out our website at beyondthewallsradio.com. Thank you for tuning in. John chapter 10 and verse 10, Jesus says, Hi, I have come that you might have life. This is the greatest, plainest way that Jesus could announce, I have come to set dominion right. Because dysfunctional dominion demands death, and I've come to bring you Zoe, the kind of God life that was supposed to be here in the Garden of Eden that Adam and Eve threw away. I've come to re-deliver this. The package is back. 
it was sent back to the post office, and then the address was corrected, and here we are. I've come to give you the very life Adam refused to accept. So powerful it is, life, this kind of life that flows into you by the vehicle of grace. It's like the blood of Christ and the body of Christ, keeping you thriving, repairing your cells. This life I've come to give you is so powerful that if you will take dominion in the way Adam refused, and then how did Jesus give us? He reinstituted the dominion mandate of Genesis in something that you and I refer to as the Great Commission. Go into all the world. He said something very similar to Adam and Eve. Go into all the world. What did he say to Adam and Eve? He said, fill up the whole world. Jesus says, go into all the world. Fill up the whole world. It's another way of saying it. And do what? Make disciples. Get people born again. Give birth to children and fill the world with righteous children. It does not annul the original mandate physically for couples to get pregnant and have children. We still are commanded to do that. But it brings back on course a correction because the world now, because of Adam and Eve, is filled with wicked children. There had to be a plan for the wicked children too. So the plan for the wicked children that Adam and Eve set on a wrong course was this phenomenal thing called getting born again. It was God saying, I'm not just going to wipe out the whole planet and start over physically with one couple to make babies like I did last time. Now I'm going to do that plus I'm going to give an opportunity for the wicked babies to get born afresh and become new. I don't want to kill anybody. I want to save everyone. And so the Great Commission is a dominion mandate. Go into all the world and preach the gospel, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, uh, you know, discipling all nations. This is, this is the Genesis mandate. Jesus Christ shows up, the second Adam, and he gives this command that is very much the same in principle because the original command to have dominion in Genesis was perfect. It didn't need to be changed. So Jesus comes and gives the same command, essentially, but with an added plan to deal with the once-born wickedness. Rather than kill them all and drown them, let's see if we can convert them and bring them under the laws of God so that they can be saved from themselves because dysfunctional dominion demands death. And Jesus shows up in history and says, I have come that you might have life. Now, let's get the dominion thing straightened out so that life can do its work. I want you to have life and I want you to have it more abundantly. That's why I'm here, Jesus says. And then already before he'd even gone to the cross, they started getting confused about why Jesus came. And he recognized that people were already beginning to misunderstand his purpose for coming to the world. So then he said, to clear that up, in Matthew chapter 5, verses 17 and 18, and I'll read it to you from the New Living Translation, Jesus said it this way, and I quote, Don't misunderstand why I have come. I did not come to abolish the law of Moses or the writings of the prophets. No, I came to fulfill them. Another way of saying that is I came to fulfill my obligations to God's law as all men must. Some people see the word fulfill and they think that Jesus was fulfilling the laws of Moses as if those laws were prophecies. But thou shalt not kill is not a prediction. It's not a prophecy. So that doesn't really make sense. 
I came to fulfill my obligations to the laws of my father as all men must fulfill their obligations to the laws of my father. Verse 18, I assure you, this is how long the laws of my father will be needed. I assure you, verse 18, until heaven and earth disappear, even the smallest detail of God's law will remain until its purpose is ultimately achieved. Ladies and gentlemen, thou shalt not steal is still needed. Its purpose has not been achieved yet. Thou shalt not kill. The purpose has not been achieved yet. We still need that. We have to have a standard by which to judge and punish crime. And then there's some people that tell us that Jesus came to take away the temporal blessings, the physical blessings, the economic blessings of serving him that we see consistently in the Old Testament. Jesus came to take those all away so that now we can all be poor. Well, of course, that doesn't say that in the Bible. That's nonsense. It makes no sense. There's all this confusion about why Jesus came, and, and he told us why he came, but we still keep making things up. The truth is Jesus did not come to take away any of the good blessings that come from obeying God. Of course not. He came to bring us Zoe life, and he wanted us not just to, not just to stumble into this. Now, here's what I think he means. I want you to have it more abundantly. What I, what I believe Jesus is referring to is the, the very obvious reward system that is promised the believer. We are rewarded in the next life based upon how we live. Jesus, in his own doctrine and teachings, made it very, very clear that everyone would not be living at the same status eternally in heaven because it would be based upon performance. You're not saved by your performance, but you're judged by it, and you're rewarded according to it. Because God is not unjust, he will not reward a wicked man with something that he also gives to the good. And there are degrees of obedience. Some people obey really well, and some people don't. Anyone have children? Some children, they obey half the time. Some children obey almost all the time. And parents, good parents, don't reward the disobedient child the same way that they reward the obedient child. Good parents, bad parents do, but, but good parents don't. That's foolish. That's wrong. That's unjust. It's a sin. It's committing a sin in your role as a parent to reward wickedness the same way that you would reward righteousness. And certainly offensive if we would call that falsely agape love. That's not agape love. That's satanic love. But that's not the kind of love God gives. And so in the same way, in the, in the parental realm, we understand children are rewarded based upon their behavior. This is just common sense. It should be. So heaven, Jesus makes it very, very plain. You will be rewarded eternally based on how much and how frequently you obeyed here. And so when Jesus says, I've come that you might have Zoe, I want you to have life. I want you to take dominion the way you're supposed to take dominion so you can overcome even death itself because you can't bury dominion. You can't bury righteous dominion. There's no end to it. It's eternal. It comes from God. Human beings were designed to live forever. We weren't supposed to die. The death part happened after we rejected righteous dominion and chose instead dysfunctional dominion. Our choice for dysfunction demanded death. We really brought it upon ourselves. It was never God's intention for your body to wear out and die. And so when we grab back a hold of God's original design and what he wanted for men to do, which is take dominion in a partnership with him on his behalf and for him, 
to do it for the kingdom. The kingdom's first. Seek ye first, Matthew 6, 33. And then all those other things will be added to you. He just wanted us to do that. And when we grab back on to righteous dominion, then we trump death. Because death was assigned to dysfunctional dominion. So if you'll live in the dominion you've been commanded to take, there ain't no grave going to hold your body down. We're going to hear the trumpet sound. We're going to get up out of the ground because there ain't no grave that can hold my body down. This has been Beyond the Walls with Pastor Kerry Gordon of Cornerstone World Outreach in Sioux City, Iowa. Check out our website at beyondthewallsradio.com.